And you're very welcome along to the gardening programme. Hard to believe that the theme music is back at Action Pori. Good morning. Good morning. And Georgia. welcome back. And it's lovely to be back. You know, well, it's great to have you back indeed. It's a real sense of spring and, and uh, lots of nice gardening weather to look forward to. When I walked out of the house this morning, the birds were singing and it's one of the first mornings and I know that was whatever, around a quarter to six. Uh, it was one of the first mornings I really kind of heard them. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, with all that has gone on yeah. all week particularly, uh, it was just such kind of a nice little lift to start the day. Well, we're not going to stop nature, are we? We're not going to stop nature. nature. So, Absolutely not. So, so definitely, it's great to be back. And, and um, you know, the, uh, as I was saying to somebody earlier this week, the safest place at the moment to be with coronavirus is in your garden. I and know. Out. <laughs> and that is the advice from the HSE that yeah. people, you know, whilst we have to be mindful about uh, mixing and, and um, staying in our family units, the other piece of advice that people is need to, they need to get out and get in, out into the fresh air. So that might be walking the dog or going to the woods or going to the beach, but also your garden can be a haven for you over the next couple of weeks. And I think just uh, as an activity in general, Porek, I mean, there are people now who are going to be off, uh, I suppose, because their children are off school yep. and, uh, you know, people are going to be trying to fill time. Absolutely. Uh, which is going to be a real challenge, particularly when we don't or maybe are not able to engage in the normal activities that yeah. we would maybe to entertain children in particular. So the garden is a great it opportunity. Is. And I that. suppose the timing, can you imagine if the coronavirus came to us in in the beginning of autumn or, or early winter when mm-hmm. it was more difficult to get outside? At least it's coming at a time of year when there are things to be done in the garden. You can get outside, you can go for a walk, get out into the woods and get out with your children. And that certainly is the advice from the HSE is that fresh air and being outdoors is going to be hugely important. The other thing I just wanted to mention, Deirdre, is that from our own business, from Hawkins, we've obviously taken you know a, a really deep look at this and, yeah. and what we can do to help our customers and I suppose the fact that the garden centre is so big is, is is great but also all the staff have been fully trained in terms of HSE policy on cleanliness and tidiness and, and distance between um, when dealing with, with customers and we have a team within the stores sanitising on a regular basis so we're constantly wa- washing down the trolleys and the baskets and, and the public areas and, and just making it that extra sp- Excellent, extra yeah. safe for, for our customers. The other key thing we've done is we're, we've decided to open early on a Sunday. So Sunday mornings, if people are you know really worried about coming to a, a public place, come in early on Sunday morning. So we're opening at 10 o'clock. We normally open at 12, but we're going to open at 10 for the rest of the year. And uh, so on Sunday mornings, we're open at 10. It's probably the quietest time. Within. You'll have the garden sent to, you, yeah. to yourself. Uh, although you might be surprised because um, I always think that for lots of people, Sunday may be the only day that they're you know in the north normal scheme of things where they're not uh, working or yeah. and uh, by the time sometimes you get to the garden centre make your purchases or whatever and come back home as a rule it's kind of evening time so maybe the impetus has gone off you yeah. whereas uh, if you're a bit of an early riser like myself and get in get early in and, get and you'll get a whole day of gardening Absolutely. in afterwards. So we, we, we've especially decided to open at 10am particularly on Sundays and we're open any, any other morning at 9.30 and um, so the the, the staff have been fully trained and that's really important. The restaurant, I was talking to Ivan and Paul in the restaurant, that has received a deep clean and his staff are fully trained on HSE policies as well and there's constant um, cleaning and tidying going on. And also they've moved the tables so that the safety, the social distancing of social tables distancing, is, yeah. is, is there as well. Um, so look, it's just to reassure people that, that it is a safe environment to come into and, and I suppose get back into your garden. The other thing I've, I've seen in the last two to three weeks is people going back 
growing their own. So the even though the weather has been very, very poor, um, the amount of seed potatoes and onion sets and garlic and things that are people are actually getting back to growing their own. A li- there was a little bit of panic buying, I have to say, during the week as well. We had one customer that came in and bought 30 bags of seed potatoes. Now, five or six bags would do the normal okay. family. I don't know where he was going with 30 bags, okay. but just to but, reassure well, people, I, we have plenty of stuff. And I suppose that would, there, there was a certain inevitability that people uh, just kind of went into a little bit of a state of shock. Um, but I think, you know, in most instances, uh, the stocks are largely there for people. But I think on, on that's funny because I was in a supermarket um, in Roscommon the other evening, just after the, you know, the day where they announced yep. that things were going to shut down at six o'clock. And I met somebody and they were purchasing potatoes and they'd been, that was their third shop to go to for potatoes uh, because they had been sold out elsewhere and I suppose maybe there's a, a bit of that too and people yeah. are thinking how can I circumvent this if uh, stocks do run low kind of in the long term yeah. and I suppose growing your own is a perfect well, answer to that. And it's the perfect time of year to get back into the gardening and start growing your own and with children off I think it's always a lovely thing to do with children is to get them involved in, in growing their own. So things like the veggie pods would be an ideal way of, of raising your own plants both from seed, from plants as well so all the vegetable plants are available at the moment your cabbage your spinach your brussels sprouts your cauliflower plants they're all kind of six or eight inches high Mm. they're ready for planting out of doors and even with the frost that's promised which is a good thing really because it's going to kill a lot of those bugs um the 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 vegetable plants are perfectly fine to plant out of doors in raised beds in containers i did a little bit actually on tv this week and i was showing the guys how to grow fruit and vegetables but how to grow salad crops in window boxes and within several weeks you're, 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 yes. you can start cropping those salad uh, crops as well. So certainly a huge interest in people getting back into growing their own. Just to, 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 to reiterate, there is no shortage of stock on seed potatoes and plants. We're constantly sowing new plants all the time. So there'll be no um, issue and there's no reason to, 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 to start panic buying or stocking up. Um, little and often is my advice. So always sow if you're sowing seeds or vegetables or plants. You should do a little bit of both, to be quite honest. Um, and do it little and often. Do some every three to four weeks and that'll keep it going right through the season. So that's a, a kind of a key project that people could do, mm. certainly over the next couple of weeks. So, so that's really my advice. Get out and do a bit of gardening. And the, and the, the sort of topics that, that I've, I've put on the list today are the type of things that you can be doing in your garden, okay. like the pruning of roses. Even though it, we, the, the weather might be a little bit cold and damp, the pruning of plants in general, this is the time as we come into mid-March. Yeah, I suppose maybe the biggest challenge uh, for people is that, you know, gardens are still fairly wet. Is they that are. fair to say? Yeah. So so th- the things I would be avoiding is cutting the grass just yet, wait for another couple of dry days to cut, cut your lawns. Those that have been fortunate to maybe cut them just after Christmas in January, February, then that's, you know, it's perfectly fine to have cut them early, but mm. it is, they're very wet at the moment, so stay off them. The planting of plants in terms of trees and shrubs, or if you're putting a new hedging or thinking about sowing in your lawn, again, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't do that just yet. Again, the soil conditions are just too heavy. So, so avoid those type of jobs, but the type of things to be doing is certainly the pruning back of plants, so the pruning of apple trees at this, at this time of year, the prune, pruning of blackcurrants and gooseberries and fruit in general should be pruned this time of year and when we prune we feed at the same time and if you are pruning plants once they're pruned it's a good idea to put on a little bit of winter wash which removes any pests 
it kind of cleanses and disinfects your fruiting plants uh, and particularly your rose bushes um, before the before the new growth starts. The pruning back of rose bushes can start now and you know the amount of questions we get right up to the end of April. When is the right time to prune roses? Now is the time or over the next couple of weeks. Get them pruned back, get them tidied back. And summer flowering shrubs, hydrangeas, for example, mm. always our favourite question. This is a really good time of year to start pruning back hydrangeas and by that you're removing the old flowering wood. Though These are the mop head hydrangeas in the summer. You take the old flowering wood, that, so the old flowers that are there, follow them back to ground level and cut them out and give them a feed at this time of year. So the feeding of plants can continue, the pruning back of plants can continue um, and and you know things like certain vegetables are totally hardy like I mentioned all the uh, cabbage family they're all available as plants and they're perfectly fine out of doors yeah. as is onions, shallots, garlic asparagus if you've raised beds, if you've got your veggie pod or if you've got um, a reasonable dry section of the garden, they can be certainly planted at this time of year. Great. Rhubarb is coming through the soil very nicely. Again, it's the time to feed rhubarb and push it on if you want some early early fruit. So the feeding of plants in per- particular, Easter will be coming around the corner and this is the time of year for planting herbs. And again, if you pop into your local garden centre, you'll get herb plants that are six or eight inches high at the moment. Right. Plant them now in your window boxes or your containers or, you know, window boxes perfectly fine. And pick your poplar herbs that you're going to use at Easter, like sage, like thyme, like chives, rosemary, all of those, marjoram, they're all available now. Plant them up into window boxes, containers, pots, sit them on your patio. Again, they're totally frost hardy. They're perfectly happy out of doors and they'll give you great pickings as we come in to April and particularly for the Easter lamb and Easter cooking. Um, so that's something to look forward Sounds to. Sounds fab. And the sowing of seeds. Our homes are still lovely and warm. We're going to be indoors quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So the sowing of, of all flowering plants can occur at this time of year. So your summer marigolds, your begonias, your busy lizzies, your geraniums, they can all be sown from seed at this time of year. As indeed many of our vegetable plants can still be sown from seed. So your tomatoes and chilies and peppers and all your summer uh, crops or so lettuces and cabbages and so on. Simply get, I've often shown you the coffee cup, yes. a simple coffee cup, fill it with compost, sow some seed on top, put the lid on, within seven days your seeds have germinated and hey presto you've got plants ready to plant out in two or three weeks time or indeed you can sow them in seed trays in compost. The compost should be moist but not too wet. Cover with a little bit of cling film, sit them on your windowsill and again our, home, our homes are 25 degrees at the they moment. They are and they will stay like that because of the frost that's they coming etc. Yeah. So it's, it's the perfect, if you've got a nice warm sunny windowsill possibly underneath the, with a heater underneath it or a radiator underneath it, that's the perfect environment for sowing seeds. So there's lots of the sowing of seeds. Moss control and I see there's a couple of questions in on moss on, on the lawns. There in is indeed, yeah. And, and look at moss is going to be a feature this year because we've had such a very very mild winter, we've had such a wet winter that I even had a, a couple in yesterday that had lichen and moss on oak trees that they wanted to be, it was so dense on the oak trees okay. after the winter period so we're seeing moss on tarmacadam and slates and tiles but particularly in the lawns again this year I did say stay off the lawns in terms of trimming them but you can certainly get on the moss control like the zero now to control moss and and you know so I would advocate that it should be done on a dry day yeah so as long as you apply the zero and it doesn't rain within two hours it works pretty and it works overnight so certainly hard surface areas if you've got moss or weeds then again they can be treated in dry weather with the um 
with the, the likes of the pack and do start looking for I see the weeds the weed seedlings are beginning to germinate the sycamore seedlings and lots of the early weeds are beginning to mm. show so a good a good time of year to get out with the garden hoe um, I use the uh, the wolf hoe which is a brilliant uh, device for scuffling weeds great way to get your 10,000 steps in <laughs> in the day but and a bit more besides but now is the time to control weeds don't allow them to be a problem later on in April and May knit them in the bud they're, they're just germinating so if you control them now and scuffle the soil put down maybe a little bit of bark mulch you're going to prevent huge amount of issues later on so the gar- it's all about the preparation really at this time of year um, I, for the last couple of weeks I've been dividing plants in my own garden so things like hostas and delphiniums I've been digging them up before the, this, they really come into growth and dividing them and splitting them and spreading them around the garden. So things like a stilbay, hostas, um, delphiniums, um, perennial asters, those plants that multiply, or if you want to multiply your rhubarb at this time of year, it's a great time to divide plants. So lift them, split them and replant them into other areas of the garden. So they're the type of, and of course, the planting of, of our five a day, in particular seed potatoes. And if you're not, if the ground isn't ready to put them in, you can certainly chit them or sprout them. So if you get a couple of bags of things like the Colleen potatoes, lovely Irish variety called Satant, it's a blight revi- resistant variety. One of my favourite old fashioned potatoes is one called Sharps Express it's a lovely um, it's one of those potatoes that you plant at this time of year Mm -hmm. you can grow it in pots and containers or in raised beds you harvest it in July and you don't have to peel it you just pop it into the pot into the pot and put some butter on it and it's a beautiful variety that's Sharps Express and the most popularly voted potato is one called Red Duke of York which is a lovely variety but at this time of year if you're purchasing potatoes sprout them indoors in a frost free location like a garage a tunnel, a greenhouse, allow the, the sprouts to initiate. That'll take about two to three weeks and then plant them out into your garden soil. And generally, St. Patrick's weekend, we always associate with the planting of potatoes. Now, the ground, if you're putting them into the soil, it is too wet, but certainly it's perfectly fine to get them sprouted and chitted okay. and ready for planting. Mm. And you can plant potatoes right up until the end of May. So there's no panic. Okay, but no at the pressure. same time you know, start preparing. People are itching. They're yeah, itching, they're itching to get out of Because I was on with Tommy on, on Tuesday and I was supposed to be in for 15 minutes yeah. of a programme and he said we'll stay half an hour okay. because the amount of calls we got. Cool. So people are actually itching to go and get, and get back into the garden which is great to see. Just a quick reminder, if you have questions for Porik this morning, better to get them into us uh, sooner rather than later. So 0818 3055, Noel Grogan working on the programme with us today and it's 087 with Thanks to Cherry Moore Kitchens if you want to text us or WhatsApp us. Um, as, you, as you alluded to there earlier, Porek, moss is an issue. Yeah. So we have a, we have a selection of moss type okay. questions, uh, not necessarily all lawn related. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, others uh, to do with uh, moss affecting plants themselves. So let's get down to it. Um, how do you get moss off a spreading campanula? It has spread to about two or three metres. Yeah, and, and campanula is a beautiful, it's an alpine plant that, that uh, carpets the ground with lovely little blue flowers. But because it's so low growing, the moss can infest the plant, you know, particularly in the centre of it and spread through it. Unfortunately, you won't be able to spray anything onto the campanula. That's just going to kill the moss and not affect the campanula mm-hmm. plant. So really, it's a, it's a tedious job of just taking the moss out, physically removing oh. it. Unfortunately, there's no, there's no treatment um, to, to, to eradicate it. That's not going to damage the campanula as well. So um, now what you will find is that the campanula will kick into growth very shortly and it will help to suppress 
the moss as well. So I think if you give it a, you know, take out as much moss as possible and um, the campanula will outgrow it during the summer period because it's been dormant through the winter. But a lovely little plant, if people are looking for a plant for their um, rockery or board or something to trail down over a wall, campanula is a fabulous plant. Super duper. And easy to grow. Now, uh, somebody, a Limerick listener, they tell us, uh, would what is the best stuff to kill the moss on the lawn and can you recommend a good feed? Also looking for a recommendation for a feed for the flowers you just spoke about. Okay, so if, if flowering plants in general, if, if, if your plants are things like roses, hydrangeas, fuchsias, where you're, you're, you're really looking for lots of colour, you need a high potash feed. So a good quality rose fertiliser actually covers quite a, a wide range of plants. So look for a good quality rose fertiliser. Um, you'll generally get a, a tub of it in your local garden centre. It's full of p- potassium or potash and that induces flowering in plants. So it's brilliant for hydrangeas, for roses, for uh, flowering plants in general. You can also use, for general trees and shrubs, you can use a, a fertiliser called Osmo Pro 6. So it's excellent for hedges, for trees, for shrubs in general, where you want a nice bit of greening to occur. So use the Osmo Pro 6 for as a general fertiliser and then a rose fertiliser a granulated rose fertiliser about once a month. So now again in mid-April, again in mid-May as plants are actively growing and that'll keep them blooming right through to the end of the summer. In relation to the lawn, my advice really it's it's a a two-step process really first of all get rid of the moss with the zero. So zero is a liquid, you mix it in water, you apply it on a dry day, it works literally overnight you follow that then by an application of um, Osmo Lawn Fertiliser which greens your lawn without forcing growth so it gives it a lovely green colour without actually making it grow and then later on in the season if you do need to control weeds you can use one of the priority uh, weed killers but I suppose the trend at the moment is to allow the dandelions to flower allow the daisies to flower and clover to flower to help the bees okay yes because that's obviously yeah. very yeah. very important yeah. as well um, okay um, that's good on moss uh, now my hydrangea and rose trees are well budded. Do I prune these at the moment? Yes, you do. And, and that's always the question about roses. People go out and they look at the roses, they see lots of new shoots and they think it's too late. They've left it too late. Disregard any new growth and you can pr- prune a rose bush right up until the end of April. But now is the, the best time because if you're pruning it in April, you're, you're, you're disposing of all that young growth that was making initially. So my advice is to get out this weekend if you can or over the next... Later on, actually, this coming week, mm. from Wednesday through to Sunday, it's going to be a lot nicer weather. Warm, dry yeah. weather is forecasted. So that would be a good time. But if you can get out over the weekend, prune your roses back, cut them back to within six to eight inches of soil level, particularly if they're floribund or hybrid tea roses, which is your normal standard rose, or if you've got flower carpet rose in the garden, give it a good hard pruning back. Don't be afraid to bring it back right to eight inches from soil level. Remove any dead wood, remove any crossing branches, clean off that dead wood, and then treat the bed with a little bit of the winter wash, which again is a liquid, and it, it does what it says on the tin. It disinfects the plants, it kills off any bugs that might be there, and you're starting then with nice clean roses going in into the spring that pruning back it's like cutting hair it stimulates new growth that's why we do it that's why we prune plants back because the plant triggers itself into producing vegetative or new stems Mm. new growth so you're actually rejuvenating the plant and from that new growth you get the flowers then later on the summer and that of course is supported by the fertilizer by putting the feed on you're encouraging that new growth to be strong and vigorous and healthy 
Yes. Like our own immune, immune system. system. If you build the immune system in plants by feeding them, they're going to be stronger, more pest and disease resistant. Um, and so the feeding of roses or the feeding of plants always coincides with, with when you prune them back. And the same applies with your apples. If you're pruning your apple trees back, give them a feed as well. Um, for apples and, and fruit in general, you're removing two thirds of last year's growth. So most apple trees will make about two feet, maybe three feet of growth. We're shortening that back by two thirds. So if it makes three foot of growth, you should cut it back by two feet and you leave a nice open wine glass shape to your apple tree. So kind of, a, you know, an open centre, having the branches facing outwards. Oh, oh right. Any branches that are crossing are in the centre. If it's very clustered in the centre of the apple tree, remove some of those branches. So you're opening it up to let the air get in, to let the light get in, and that helps too. So ideally your apple tree should be short and wide. So a, a kind of a, a plump apple tree, a shall plump we say. Apple tree. <laughs> so try and encourage that. And the pruning, the pruning is, is uh, I suppose, the way of shaping the plant. If there's any canker, any, any disease visible, prune that out as well, get rid of that. And, and kind of tidy them up and have a nice open structure. Ideally to an outward facing bud, but that's not as critically essential, but ideally you prune just above an outward facing bud. And um, so the pruning of plants, the feeding of them at this time of year. And then with the hydrangea, the listener mentioned the hydrangea, yes. the bud starting. Again, same thing applies. Don't worry about the new growth. Just take the old flowering wood. Remember that with the mop head hydrangeas. You're not pruning all branches as you would with a rose bush. You're just selectively taking out the shoots that produced flowers last year. And there you'll know those because they've got the old flower heads yeah. right at the top. You follow them as close to ground level as you can and cut them out. And any, any stems that don't bear old flowers, that's where the flower is going to be born this year. So you leave them alone. Okay. So you're just selectively taking out the wood that flowered last year, if that makes sense. I hope I haven't confused So, so the buds kind of come on other areas of, of the plant. Of course they are. They're all yeah. growth buds where you see nice green buds popping in on other stems. That's where the flowers are going to be born this year. So you're only selectively on hydrangeas taking out the old flowering wood. So hydrangeas flower on the previous season's growth. A bit like a cherry plant. Right. So the cherry grew during the summer mm -hmm. and on that growth it's going to flower this spring. So hydrangeas, whatever growth they made last summer, they're going to flower, flower there this, summer this summer on it. So we're only taking out the old wood and that again helps to rejuvenate the for, hydrangea right, plant. So it's for, that's kind of getting things ready nearly for the following year. Yeah, now these are the mop head, the old traditional. The pinks big, and the blues. The pinks and the blues are the big mop head of flower. That's it. There are other hydrangeas. I won't go into those no, now because we'll confuse For everybody. another day. Yeah. Okay, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Now, when can a rose plant be moved from a pot to the ground? It has been in the pot for two years at this stage. Now. Anytime, again, again, what I would do is prune that rose bush back exactly how I described. So give it a good hard trimming back, take it out of its pot. You can shake off any excess soil or compost that might be on it and replant it back into its new flowering position. Now, put down a good quality compost with it, put down some rose feed with it as well. Make sure that you plant it at the same level as it was in the pot. That's important. And um, What do we and mean now exactly so, by that? So make sure that some people, when they're planting new plants, they'll put them down you know, maybe three or four or six inches deeper, thinking they're securing the plant better. In other words, they're burying the roots maybe four or five inches deeper than they were when they were planted in the pot. So it's important when you're planting any new plant or moving a plant from one position to another that you replant it at the level that it was originally planted. Okay. So don't be tempted to bury it by three or four inches because you're burying the roots and the roots need oxygen. So that's just important just to make sure it's replanted at the same level. Um, so any time over the next week or 10 days up until the end of March, 
would be a perfect time to take that rose bush out. But I would prune it now anyway. And um, whenever you get a dry day, plant it out into its new flowering position. So plants that are in pots, if you have hydrangeas in pots or roses in pots or old shrubs in pots and you want to transplant them out now mm-hmm. into a new planting area, this is the time to do it. Okay. Any time over the next three to four weeks. Somebody wondering, is it too late to put out sulphate of iron to control moss? No, it's not. And sulphate of iron um, is the old is the, the old method. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what, basically what sulphate of iron is, is the fine particles of iron. Uh, it's a bluish material and you can put that out. Now, just be careful with sulphate of iron because it is very caustic. That's the way it kills the moss. It burns the moss physically. If you put it on too heavily, it tends yeah. to burn the grass as well. And if it gets on tarmacadam or paving slabs, it leaves... Uh, discoloration that that is impossible to remove. So be careful when putting on sulphur of iron. My advice would be to dilute it in water and spray it on and again you can put it on on a dry day. Again it'll work within a couple of days. It'll eradicate it. Okay, lovely. Uh, Now let me see where am I going here next? Uh, Sorry, loads and loads of questions in all of a sudden. uh, Should I put Osmo on laurels now? Yeah, so that's what I mentioned. The Osmo Pro 6. To grain them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know it's a good time of year. Now if you are trimming hedging plants be careful that making sure that the birds aren't nesting so that's the first thing to check you'll you'll see the birds going in and out of hedges if they are nesting if they're not present you could give the laurel a light trimming back before you feed it and hedges in general and and from a legislative point of view um you know farmers kind of touch hedgerows in in in, in farming land mm. this time of year from march uh, onwards but in your garden you you are allowed to trim them but my advice really is to check first that there's no nesting birds you won't don't disturb any of the wildlife that are there but this is a, a good time of year for feeding hedges in general and laurel will respond very well to the likes of osmo again feed it now feed it in about a month's time and again in may and that's enough so two to three applications of a fertilizer will green up the hedge because a lot of laurels we've had so much rain this winter the plants are showing a lot of yellowing a lot of nutrition has been washed from the soil so if your laurels are looking a bit off color yeah a bit light green or yellowish in color they need some nutrition and plants in general this year in particular, will need a boost because the, the nutrition, the natural nutrition has been washed from the soil this year. That just constant rain. Yeah. Um, so important. It depresses the plants as well. It does, as, as, well, <laughs> as, as well as ourselves. As ourselves. Yeah. So, so a bit of feeding. Um, and you'll see, you'll see it yourself. The trees are beginning to come into leaf. I was in Dublin during the week and lots of the trees, lots of the cherries are in flower. Uh, lots of the um, early flowering pears are in flower. And lots of the broadleaf trees have broken leaf. And they're about seven days ahead of us, five to seven seven days ahead of us in terms of um, growth. So the growth is on its way. Excellent. So this is a perfect time to get on the fertiliser. Now, uh, could you recommend some perennials that will do well in a windy coastal garden? Okay, so by perennial we meet plants that come back year after year. And somebody mentioned the campanula earlier. There's a great seaside plant. So there's a whole range of alpine plants that originate from the Alps and mountainous regions. They're well used to windy, open uh, situations and they'd be a great collection of plants to consider in a seaside area. So things like um, Campanula, which is coming into flower at the moment, things like Aubrecia, which is in flower, Arabus, Saxifrage. Um, there's a lovely plant called Erigeron, and um, it's called Sea Breeze. 
and it produces these daisy-like flowers um, in seaside locations. It does exceptionally well in seaside areas. So that's a Rigeron or, or Sea Breeze is, is the, the uh, variety. Look for that in your local garden centre. It produces a, a pink and yellow, a daisy-like flower, stays low to the ground, flowers every year, and it flowers for a very long period as well. So there's a range of alpine plants. Yellow Allison will be another really good one for seaside areas, um, but also in terms of maybe slightly taller perennials. So most perennials die back at the end of the year, like hostas that I mentioned earlier so they're they disappear for the winter and early spring so they avoid all the kind of rough weather that you get in seaside areas but come the spring they re-emerge so hostas would be certainly a choice and there's a wide range of hostas available mm-hmm. perfect in seaside areas a stilbe which is the old spirea a stilbe varieties like a stilbe sprite would do very well in seaside areas one of my favorite bee plants is a plant called sedum sedum spectabiles it's called the ice plant Ooh. because it, when it rains, the water kind of bubbles on the surface of it. So the leaf is a succulent leaf, very like a cacti leaf. Right. And the plant produces beautiful pink or reddish flowers in July, August, September period. So it flowers a little bit later in the season. But the plant itself produces these lovely silvery um, rubber-like leaves. And when the rain drops on it, it's like icicles on the on the plant. So, so they call it the ice plant. The ice plant. So sedum? Sedum spectabiles. Spectab- in okay. in, in um, Latin, it's Something spectacular. spectacular. Exactly. <laughs> sedum spectacular. So it's a really good plant. So look, at what you're looking for really is short, sturdy, um, perennial plants. A little piece of advice, particularly in windy areas, if you are going growing perennials, particularly those that grow a little bit taller, like things like rudbeckia and asters, is to give them the Chelsea chop. And that's done when Chelsea is on in May. So what you do is you let the plant grow as normal. You feed it and allow it to grow, which it will through March and April. And then around Chelsea, it's about the first or second week of May, you actually take about six or eight inches off the top of the plant. What that does is it makes the plant, a bit like the apple tree, it makes it shorter and bushier and far more turgid, so far more... Um, able to withstand the wind wind, and the ice plant in particular Sedum spectabiles because it flowers so heavily I mean the flowers are really heavy on the top of the plant even though it's only a short plant about 18 inches maybe 2 feet in height because the flowers are so heavy they tend to fall over but if you give it the Chelsea chop it's got the sturdiness. It's got the it's shorter in, in, in height you've doubled the amount of flowering stems it's going to produce and um, you end up with a nicer, fatter, fuller plant with more colour right. from it. Far better able to stand up to the winds. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, and, and again, feeding with a high potash feed like a rose feed, it, it's le- there's less nitrogen in the feed, so you tend to get more sturdier plants as well. So rose feed is very, very good for perennial plants, flowering perennial plants. There are dwarf asters. There's a whole range of plants. Pop into your local garden centre. Do remember to pick perennials. It's tempting when you go into the garden centre to buy everything that's in flower. It is because you can see it and it looks gorgeous. Yeah. And people don't think about, well, what about June and what about Mm. July and what about August? So there's a great plant, the sedum. If you saw that in your local garden centre, you wouldn't buy it at this time of year because there's no flower on it. And it's just beginning to grow and it just doesn't look as if it's, you know, you Mm. you really have to have a good imagination to think how how special it's going to be. So you need to plant for the different seasons. So ground covering geraniums, the perennial geraniums that come back year after year, like Johnston's Blue, um, Sanguinium, there's a whole range of different varieties. They're brilliant in seaside areas again, but you wouldn't buy them at this time of year if you saw them in your local garden centre, but you should. So make sure that you're picking plants that flower at the different times of year, and that's where you get advice 
from your local garden centre person, ask them for a range of plants that are going to bloom at different times of the year. Great, we're going to take... And, mo- and most of those plants, like I mentioned with the hostas, mm. you can self-propagate. So once you have them in your garden, that you can multiply them. So the sedum is a great example of a plant that you could, if you have it for a couple of years, you could dig it up at this time of year, split it into five or six pieces with a sharp spade yeah. and replant it in another area. So most perennials you can propagate by division, by dividing them and physically tearing them apart and replanting them anytime during the winter or spring period. Okay, so I suppose really the value of the plant yeah, exactly. is, is huge because it is. of its longevity and what you can get out of it. This is where I do myself out of a job. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not too much, Boric. Okay, time moving along. Before we get fully caught up in questions, Boric, I want to talk a little bit about Mother's Day and options for Mother's Day. And you have come into studio with a couple of really lovely looking plants. I brought two of my favourite plants in to studio. So I I actually walked around the garden centre last night and was thinking, well, what will I bring in? So this plant, this is a plant called Daphne. And I think I planted about... 20 daphnes in my garden last year. Oh, wow. Because they are they must a be fabulous scented plant. Um, I, I first saw daphnes down in Moncongreve, a famous garden down in, in Waterford. Oh, right. And they then planted out. And, and their Moncongreve is um, noted for its rhododendrons, its magnolias, its daphnes. Mm. It's all of those really attractive plants. And it was the middle of winter and the scent of uh, the Daphne's is, was just superb. So this is this variety I brought in is an evergreen variety, and it's one called Eternal Fragrance because it comes into flower in February, and it stays in flower until October, and it will even often flower during the winter if we get a mild winter. It retains its foliage all year round. It doesn't grow particularly tall, about a meter, maybe four feet in height, but it flowers, and there is a fabulous scent off the plant. Here, have a sniff of that. Oh. It's a beautiful... It's like the hyacinth, you know, the lovely sweet hyacinth. Oh, that is stunning. Isn't it lovely? Oh, it is absolutely So gorgeous. nice pink flowers. That's a plant called Daphne Eternal Fragrance, and um, I think if you want to remember somebody, it would be a lovely plant to plant in your garden. Um, but beautiful scented plant. I often cut the stems of it and put it into the car. And you have that scent and you have that scent. all day long. And do they come in? Th- so that's kind of got a creamy, almost kind of pale pinky yeah. shade. Are, are there other shades? There are. There's one called um, Josephine Postel, which was named after a famous um, nursery man. He named it. He named his wife Jacqueline. Sorry, Jacqueline Postel. Uh, so Mr. Postel named it the particular variety after his his wife. And it's a a, a stunning pink, big pink flowers, right. highly scented as well. Really nice variety. So if you wanted just something a little bit different from Mother's Day, and the, the nice thing about the Daphne's is that they're in flower at Mother's Day every year. And you have the longevity out of it as well. You do, and it comes back year after year. So that's a lovely one called Exter- um, Eternal Fragrance. But Joseph, uh, Jacqueline Postella is another lovely variety as well. And the other plant I brought in is actually the Fujian Japanese Cherry. Oh, right. So we associate Japanese cherries with the big, tall Prunus Kansan, Prunus Charité. The big cherry Taihaku, blossoms. The big ones. This is a short variety. Uh, so it's the Fujian um, cherry. Um, it's in the Prunus family, Prunus incisa. It gets the name because incisa means the incision in the leaves. But it's coming into flower, as you can see now. And it will be, it will literally have hundreds of flowers on it. And oh, flowers again as well. at this time of year. I have it in my own garden for probably... 15 years and it's about maybe four feet high three to four feet high now I was going to say because that's, that's in a pot there yeah. okay so it will grow to three to four feet definitely in height and does it have that volume of flowers on it every all year, over every oh, year on the whole on the plant. whole plant 
It's absolutely covered it's in flowers. It's covered in these tiny flowers that, at the moment. They're just stunning yeah. as well. Beautiful. <laughs> so that's one to look for as well. And look, at I, I kind of pick plants that are going to be in flower for Mother's Day, which yeah. is March 22nd. It's not this Sunday. It's tomorrow the week. Tomorrow week. But also plants like camellias are brilliant because oh, again, gorgeous. they flower yeah. at this time of yeah. year. And indoor plants like anthuriums, the painter's palette is always nice. Orchids, of course, are very special as well. But I thought those two in particular, the Daphne Eternal Fragrance and, and the, the, the Fu- Fujian, Fujian cherry, cherry as in yeah. Mount Fuji is exactly. that right um, and it's uh, prunus and sizes the botanical name of it it's a lovely dwarf you want something neat and compact something you grow in a pot if you wish mm. or plant it out into the garden soil and every year comes into flower irrespective of the weather does it have scent? No. No. Right, no. Okay. But the fla- and the flowers are single and they're kind of a, a lovely shell but pink. Yeah, it has colour. a huge volume of flowers. Doesn't right? it? Yeah, Even th- for I a young plant. This yeah, is only and, a young and plant. And they're delicate looking yeah. flowers. But, the, but the one I have flowers equally as well and, and uh, it's nice for cutting. Yeah. And the Daphne well. also equally is. The Daphne is, is lovely so for scent. Lots, lots of options. If you there. wanted something scented, it's yeah. a really nice variety. Uh, well, from the Fujian cherry, we've yes. got a question on a cherry blossom. Okay. Yeah. A beautiful cherry blossom, we're told, in the front garden. It's become quite large, though, and wondering, is it a good time to cut it back? What do you think? Oh, Porrick. <laughs> With all I've been saying all morning. Um, think about it. It's flowering now, is it? Yeah, well, it will, it will be. It'll be coming into flower in the next... Uh, uh, couple of week, weeks. Yeah, yeah no. No, no. You're, you're dead right. You we pr- wait, isn't that it? We wait pr- until it stops flowering. Exactly, and that's exactly the time of year. So if you think about it, if you prune it at this time of year, you're removing all those flowers. Yeah. So we leave cherries in particular, they're left until after flowering as they come into leaf growth, you prune them back. So I wouldn't touch it till about the end of April, early May. Prune it back then and it'll be perfectly fine. And you can be quite severe with cherries. They do respond to pruning quite well. But if we prune them too early, you're removing all those flowers and you also leave it open to a bacterial disease called silver leaf, which can attack cherries as well. So the later you prune it, the better for the flowering and the colour. So enjoy the colour this spring and then get out with your, your saw and secateurs and give it a good hard pruning back. And don't leave the pruning too late. Literally when the flowers start to fade, when they're hitting the ground, cut it back then. So probably the end of April, first week of May. Lovely. Now, I, I'm possibly going to mispronounce this, so I apologise in advance. Um, I got a gift of a lycanthium. Canthium, the yeah. Canthium last week, yeah. last year. Lovely. Wondering, should I give it a haircut now or yes. what's the proper thing to do? So this is a herbaceous perennial plant. It's, oh. in, it's in the daisy family, the canthiums. They come in a whole range of different varieties, but they predominantly are white varieties. There's a variety called banana cream, which is kind of a little bit, it's a dwarf variety. but So they come in different heights um, and slightly different colours, some yellows, but mainly predominantly white. It is a herbaceous perennial, which means it spreads. It dies down at the end of the year. So there's probably the old stems of the plant there if that, the listener hasn't pruned it back so you can cut it back now the other thing you can do is divide it if the listener wants to make two plants of it this year simply dig it up split it into two and replant the sections one one part of the section somewhere else so lucanthium beautiful plant they tend to flower more July, July, August, September, you know, late June, July, August, September, and a lovely plant for cutting as well. And remember, they do come in different varieties and different heights. So a really nice plant. And there's a good one for seaside areas as well, Lucanthium. Okay. Now, we've got a question here. Sorry, it's in a couple of bits now, so I'll try to follow the train here. Um, Hi, Pork. We can grow potatoes easily, but the slugs get at them and decimate the crop every year. Now, we grow earlies in an attempt to win the race against the slugs. We're organic, so the usual slug controls uh, are being used all the time, such as seaweed slug traps, pellets, picking slugs, any variety that are slug repellent, asks Karina. I'm going to give you three. Okay, great. So... 
get your pen and paper. Here are three slug resistant varieties. So the first one is called Foremost. So it's a really good variety. It's an early variety um, and it's slug resistant. Maris Peer. So M-A-R-I-S-P-E-E-R. Maris Peer. Again, it's a main crop variety, but again, slug resistant. And Kestrel. So they're the three of the best that I, that I have grown for slug resistance. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get the odd slug, but they are not as palatable to the slug as varieties like uh, Sharps Express or the Curse Pink or any of the softer roosters they absolutely love. So p- slugs will tend to attack the early or the uh, softer potatoes. So the three, again, are one called Foremost, Maris Pier and Kestrel are three noted uh, slug resistant. I mean, they have that award and that symbol. It's not just me saying it. If you look them up, there are actually three varieties that are recommended uh, for as, as three slug resistant varieties. And you've got early and you've got main crop uh, with both. Now, what do you recommend to feed rhubarb? Uh, so rhubarb, so remember what you, when you're harvesting rhubarb, you're taking the stems and the leaf off the poor plant. So you're exhausting it totally. It's like taking all the leaves off a tree. You're taking its food source away. So rhubarb needs lots of feeding. During the winter, I would recommend a whole mulch and, and dollop of organic matter, mm-hmm. rush manure. So your own compost from your compost bin, farm manure if you, if you can get it, or mushroom compost. And that can be left literally foot deep on the top of the rhubarb through the winter period. At this time of year, I would use a granulated fertiliser. So I would use the Osmo Pro 6 or something like Grow More. You want a fertiliser that's going to encourage growth in the plant. Um, so Grow More can be applied now, a good handful or maybe two handfuls if it's a large rhubarb plant, or the Osmo Pro 6 which is an organic fertiliser and again will give it a boost and feed rhubarb now but feed it again feed it for the next three months because you need to feed it after you stop cropping it as well because you're building it up for next year so the more you harvest rhubarb the more you make it weak Mm -hmm. and you can end up with kind of small thin stems wizened stems so in the winter time put on the organic matter and the rhubarb will just the rotten matter will, will rot down through the rhubarb the rhubarb will come up through it and, uh, you know, it, it won't impede the growth. And then at this time of year, apply the Osmo Pro 6, which is an organic feed, or grow more to feed it and feed it once a month. Perfect. Now, a listener got two tunnels last year. Unfortunately, they seem to have a moisture problem. Now, they have two vents on each tunnel in the front and back. Um, but they're wondering, is there any way to overcome this moisture issue? And, and what, probably what you're seeing a lot you're seeing a lot of is um, natural evaporation of water. So the water is evaporated during warm temperatures. It hits the polythene and it kind of falls back down or it stays on the polythene. It creates this really moist um, environment. I'm a big believer because I wear glasses when I walk into a polytunnel, the glasses always fog up. Well, I, so, I can, I, in the same vein, yeah. So I my would. tunnel at home, at the tunnel I have, I have actually um, vents running the whole length of the side of the greenhouse. So I, it's actually very well ventilated and I never have that problem. I also leave the doors, the front and the back door open 12 months of the year. So I leave the, to- the as much ventilation in the tunnel. Really my tunnel, what it does, it keeps the wind and the rain and the misery of winter off the plants. But it keeps the temperature down because what you don't want is a really warm, high temperature within the tunnel because your plants grow too fast, 
too loose and you get too much disease and pest problems on them. So the more ventilation you can put into a tunnel, the better. So really what the, the purpose of the tunnel is to keep the wetness and the rain and the misery of winter and the wind off the plants. And so give a little bit of heat. A little bit of heat, yeah, yeah. of course, a little bit of heat. But, but you know, too much heat in a, in a, where a tunnel is totally going right to ground level and you've only got the front and back door, they tend to be too warm oh. and too hot and, and plants get really soft and, and don't grow properly. Okay. So you get this really soft vegetative growth which is very prone then to pest and disease. So the more ventilation you can put in to the tunnel, the better. So whether the listener can put more panels in that they can open, I would certainly advocate leaving your... Now have the door secure that the wind isn't going to rock it mm. about, but keep the door front and back open as much as possible, let as much air movement through the tunnel as possible. Try to space your plants as widely as possible as well so that the air movement is getting in and out. So heat, too much heat and too much moisture definitely is um, a negative in, in a tunnel environment. So try and get as much... Uh, open panels. What I will do is I'll take a couple of pictures of my own tunnel right. and I'll stick them up on my Facebook Great. page. I'll actually stick them up on the Midwest uh, page and just show people how, how I, uh, when I was setting it out, yeah. that's the way. I suppose in, it, like if one is approaching a tunnel and uh, for, for the first time yeah. I would have thought it's more, it's really important to have it locked down but obviously Well it needs to be obviously. Yeah. It needs, but no, that the, the, the more enclosed things are the better chance they have because you're protecting them from all the elements. Yeah, but no. what we're really saying is we need to have a little bit more. Absolutely. You're cocooning them too much, yeah. you're making them too soft and the, you just get this lots of vegetative and lush growth. You, you're creating that kind of a jungle environment which mm. most plants dislike. Uh, so, you know, so it is important and, you know, some people use their tunnel for raising seed. I would raise the seed indoors in the windowsill as I described and then when the plants are strong, plant them out into the tunnel. So the cooler you can keep your tunnel, and this applies to greenhouses as well, try to keep the temperatures down. Now obviously in stormy weather you need to close them up and protect them. Um, the tunnel I have, the wind can get in and get out. <laughs> so it is, I have it eight or ten years, I've never recovered it. The, no, the storms have never damaged it um, because the wind can literally get in and get out of the tunnel so, so it's, it's it doesn't become a problem. It's not lifting it or no, anything it's not like lifting that. It. No, no. But so I would advocate um, having as much aeration and much air flowing through your tunnel as possible. So that's, that is important. Okay. Uh, now, one or two before we finish up. Uh, four... <laughs> Okay, um, we have a geranium plant yeah. with lots of foliage but no flowers. Any reason for this? Well, geraniums, again, uh, remember that if plants, and particularly geraniums, if you're feeding them too much and watering them too much, you're encouraging lots of leafly growth. Geraniums are a plant that thrive in a little bit of a hardship. So reduce the watering, make sure you're not repotting them too often and cut back on the liquid feeding of uh, geraniums. So at this time of year, uh, you're just, they should be, you should have left them quite dry for the winter. You, they should be just kicking back into growth at this time of year and um, starting to rewash them. If you are feeding them, use a tomato feed or a high potash fertiliser like Fostogen, um, Osmo, the liquid Osmo is quite good or one of the tomato feeds are brilliant for geranium. So keep them on a semi-dry basis. Um, start liquid feeding them now but use a high potash feed. If they do need repotting, repot them into the next size pot up. So in other words, keep them on a little bit of hardship and a little bit of starvation yes. and you tend to trigger the plants. If they're getting too much water and too much, particularly fertilisers like Baby Bio, encourage too much leafy growth at the expense of flowering. Right. So plants are lazy. You know, they're not going to flower unless they get a little bit of a hardship. So if it's, they're, a, it's kind of giving them a bit of a kick. 
it's a bit like strawberries. If you plant strawberries up and you're feeding them all the time and you're watering them all the time, you get loads of leaves and no flowers and fruit because the plant is happy just putting on vegetative yeah. growth and regrowing. Uh, so, you know, the, the principle of any plant is to reproduce itself and particularly when it gets a bit of hardship, it tries it triggers that straight away. Okay. We're going to have to leave it there. I know there's quite a few questions we didn't get to, so we apologise we'll about that, week. but we'll get them next We're week. back we'll, again next we'll Saturday. We'll be saving them all. So before, just, to yeah. re, just to recap, certainly in Hawkins, look, at we are open from 10 o'clock on Sundays from now on. Remember, our staff are there to look after the customers and they're being fully trained on the whole HSE policy and we will you will be seeing quite a, a high visibility of staff tr- spraying trays trays and trolleys and, and, and all of that so yeah. just and the restaurant is open for okay. business following suit as we all are we're here gloved up gloved in the up studio today to yeah. Yeah. so yeah we're all we're all being cognizant of all that's going on Pork thanks a million, thanks uh, a million. brilliant to have you back and that was the quickest hour I've had in a long time so looking forward to it again next week uh, that's my lot for this morning as well obviously we're back again next Saturday just after 7 Michael Neary coming your way directly after the news at 10 which is on the way next uh, whatever you're at over the weekend to remind yourselves and mind each other that uh, being the most important thing until next week a very good morning to you